Welcome to podcast number 23 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, applying EOS to the financial planning practice. As our practices grow, we financial planners often find ourselves stuck on plateaus. We know we've gotten this far by doing the hard work, but eventually we find ourselves facing problems that working harder just won't solve. Maybe we can see what's hindering our further growth, but the tools we've used up to now don't seem to help us push through that resistance. Enter the Entrepreneurial Operating System, or EOS, first introduced by Gino Wickman in his book, Traction. What's it like to apply EOS to a growing fee-only financial planning practice? And does it actually work? Today, we have two guests. Al Davis, CFP EA, founded Davis Financial Planning with offices in Asheville, North Carolina, and has served ACP as board chair. Adrienne Gordon first served as the firm's operations director and in 2022 was named its CEO. Al, Adrienne, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to see you, Ken. Al, you founded your firm in 2010. What led you to set up your own financial planning practice? First, Ken, I love that this is podcast number 23. That's my favorite basketball player, Michael Jordan's number. So <laughs> that's got to be lucky. I started the firm in 2010 after a career in banking. I served in several different roles in the banking world, many of them working with small businesses, small business owners. In the middle of my banking career, I had the opportunity to become a certified financial planner and do financial planning in the broker-dealer banking world. But I fell in love with it and knew that at some point in my career, I wanted to do financial planning in the way that, that I, I saw it help so many people. But the people that it helped were mostly very high net worth clients of the private bank that I was working with. And I could see the power that financial planning had in their lives. And when I decided in, in early 2010 to leave banking, the decision was easy to become a financial planner. I looked around at lots of different places to try to find where I could do financial planning the way that I wanted to do it and couldn't find it. I read Burt Whitehead's book and decided, wow, this is a model that fits me really, really well. Um, I'm analytical, I believe in taxes, it's comprehensive, it's for everybody, not just the ultra wealthy. Went to the NAPFA conference in Chicago, went to the ACP conference in Scottsdale and was absolutely sold to that. I wanted to start my own firm, number one, and I wanted to practice in a fee-only comprehensive tax-inclusive manner using the ACP methodology. And the rest is history over the next 13 years. We've grown slowly from that point. 
we hear that so often, and that tracks my experience too. I wanted to become a financial planner, and no one had the client-centered focus that I was particularly looking for. So uh, I can identify with your motivation to start your own firm, as so many of us have had to. Now, your team includes seven people. That's small by some standards, but for a lot of advisors starting out, they can't imagine their practices growing to that size. Tell us something about the evolution of your firm over the years and how you've gone from that first vision to now having a team of seven people. I remember in the ACP success program early on, the training program for ACP, uh, my partner in crime was Fran Goldman. And I remember Fran being so supportive and saying, you know, you're going to do so well. You're going to have 50 clients and over $200,000 in, in revenue and thinking, wow, that would be fantastic. And we now have about 130 clients and, as you said, seven folks on our team. So I really couldn't have imagined uh, where we are today when I, when I first started. It really has been just putting my head down bringing on clients, hiring. I typically hire ahead of when we need it. Um, so always hired pretty early, uh, which then allowed me more flexibility to work with clients, attract clients, and continue to grow. And then once Ann and Rick started bringing on their own clientele, it just kept getting bigger and bigger until we got to the point where as we'll talk about next, we needed structure, both in process and the, as strategic coach talks about the who, which was Adrienne. So Adrienne, you came to Davis Financial Planning after it was pretty well established. Tell us about your background before joining the firm and what you saw when you started working there, the problems that you started working on resolving. My background is in operations and business counseling. I was with the Small Business and Technology Development Center here in North Carolina as a business counselor for 10 years. And so had an inside view of all kinds of businesses from solopreneurs to 150 employee companies in various stages of their life cycle. Did a lot of financial analysis. I did marketing analysis and website reviews. I led a business disaster recovery program for the state of North Carolina following hurricanes. Had a lot of varied experience there. Did a lot of strategic planning. Left there and was hired by one of my clients as operations director for a digital marketing agency. I spent six years there. And during that time, they did a spinoff, did a small acquisition, adopted the entrepreneur operating system and became a certified B corporation. And so lots of growth in a fairly short period of time. And I was becoming curious about what, what could be next for me. Could I get a little more focused? There's a lot happening at that company. And a friend actually told me about the position with Davis Financial Planning. And I read it and I said, this, this is an integrator job. And there was enough, we didn't say that, but I could sort of read between the lines that this was possibly an EOS firm. And so I started asking some questions um, and learned that Al and the team had begun exploring EOS, had not fully adopted it at that point, but were exploring it. Um, and through that process, um, 
as Al said, seemed like they were ready for an operations person. As Al said to me, we need a system. It doesn't have to be EOS, but it seems just as good as any. And I was very familiar with EOS at that point. I had three or four years experience with the system with a professional implementer and had rolled it out to um, the company we had acquired. So give us a high-level overview of what EOS looks like in practice. If we were to, if we were completely unfamiliar with EOS, what's the basic structure of how the firm operates? So EOS, it is just that. It's a structure. You can do almost anything you want to do with it, but it provides certain tools, um, certain provides certain communication and meeting cadences that help with communication and keeping everyone on the team in on the same page. So it starts with annual planning, which a lot of companies do kind of sit down and say, what are our goals for the year? What's it going to be in terms of revenue and clients and any particular projects they want to try to complete? But EOS then breaks it down to there's a quarterly strategic planning as well, where you check in and say, okay, how are we doing against our measurements for the year? What's the next things that we really need to focus on for the next quarter? And so you're constantly kind of checking your progress, but you also have these chances to incrementally plan and adjust as things change, um, which we've seen a lot of change over the last couple of years. So it's been really helpful for us to have some of these structures in place. Have a scorecard where you you pick some metrics that you measure week in and week out and kind of update, where are we, how are we doing? The idea being that you're measuring before you have an issue. So you're looking for leading indicators. So what I like about EOS is that you're looking ahead to where you want to go, but you're constantly checking and saying, how are we doing now? With an idea of getting there. So it's sort of this reflective cycle that's really just built in to the system. And I think that's why it works so well across all sorts of industries. Al, Adrienne mentioned that your view was that you weren't necessarily committed to EOS, but you knew you were committed to having a system. What was it that made you decide that EOS was the right system for your firm? It was Adrienne. Uh, it, it was, you know, we, we read traction, read some, some information about EOS, and really, like Adrienne said, it sounded good. It sounded fine. Um, but really, it's in the implementation that really matters. So the fact that Adrienne had done EOS with a previous company, it was a no-brainer to say, great, that's the system that we're going to use. And she's familiar with it. We're already a little bit familiar with it. So it was just a natural fit. And what was your first step in implementing EOS? How did you, in particular, how did you get started with it? Well, I think for us, it was we, we tried a few things somewhat unsuccessfully uh, on our own, uh, because as you know, Ken, and, and probably many people listening realize, clients come first and we're financial planners and other things always fall by the wayside. So it really was a flailing attempt to implement EOS and really needed that person to hold us accountable and not be part of the planning process. Adrienne doesn't come from a financial planning background, doesn't serve clients directly. And we needed that. At that point for us, we needed that guidance. We needed that accountability. And what is really important, I think, of the person that's in this role is someone who can be stern, direct, direct, 
and consistent, but do it in an understanding, flexible way. We have surge periods where Adrienne knows that there's not going to be as much EOS work, as much work on the business because we're meeting with clients three, four per day, doing prep and follow up. But then there are going to be periods of time where we have more time and energy to work on the business. So I think that flexibility and caring is really important but also having somebody outside of the minutiae and the the everyday activity that can consistently lead this process and implement a structure, whatever that structure is. And Al and the team were very honest about that when they were you know, doing the interview process for my original position, saying they needed somebody who was focused on the business, you know, and they were working in the business and loved what they did and didn't want to not you know, do financial planning. That's why they were here. And so they were looking for somebody, you know, who could focus on the business and make, and I always say that the team is, are my clients, you know, that's who I serve and that's who I'm looking out for and trying to support. So I have seven clients plus an intern, you know, that's my portfolio, if you will. And I think that that's typical in a growing company. And some companies hit that, at, you know, four years in and some 10 years in where they realize, you know, they need more dedicated resources to work on the business. EOS just makes it easier because there's structure and tools and a whole host of support. I mean, Gino Wickman's now written like 10 books and there are blogs and podcasts and there's a conference and I'm a member of the Female Integrator Mastermind Group, 140 women integrators. I mean, there are all these spinoff groups where you can get resources and help. And we all speak the same language, which really makes it helpful to change processes, implement EOS, um, adjust it as you need to. You don't have to do it exactly by the book. Don't tell them that, but that's my philosophy. There's some flexibility there. So you've mentioned the term integrator a couple of times for listeners who might not be familiar with EOS. Tell us what that role is and uh, about other roles under the EOS approach. So the EOS system has two main leadership roles. So it's, it's a duality. Um, the visionary, who is outwardly focused, um, so looking at the marketplace, looking at trends, looking at the industry, bringing that information back in. Visionaries see possibilities. They're very optimistic. <laughs> they have lots of ideas. They like change. They like activity and a fast pace. And so that's a typical founder of a firm. I will say Al is not the most extreme visionary I have ever worked with, but he is a visionary. Um, so if listeners are that's resonating with you, that makes sense as a founder of a firm. The integrator is the other side of the coin. That person is focused internal to the company. And their question is how? They sort of drive the pace of the, of the company overall to make progress on those goals. And as Al said, my pace is a little weird. You know, I have to back off when we're in surge and then push forward when we're not. But it's still driving that pace, that cadence. The integrator literally integrates, make sure all of the functions of the business work. So if you have a marketing um, department or team or person, make sure that what they're doing aligns with what your services and financial planning team is doing and that your tech also works all together. And under EOS, the core values are your ultimate guideposts or guardrails. And so the integrator is always asking, you know, does this support our core values? Is this in alignment with our core values? Does this align with the other things that we're doing or does it detract? 
the integrator's role is also to filter the visionary's ideas. So there's a natural tension between the two. Uh, visionaries like to go hard and fast and do a lot. And integrators are often saying, hold on. <laughs> what do we need? When does it make sense? And it can sometimes be the whole poker, but together they can do a whole lot. And Gino's book, Rocket Fuel, um, is about the visionary integrator duo with that. You have, you have both and there's a lot of trust and mutual respect between those two people. You can really do a lot. And Ken, one thing that I'll add to what Adrienne was talking about that I was just thinking about as she was describing that is every company is different. Often, and a lot of what Gino writes about are partners, you know, two people who own a business together. One is the integrator and one is the visionary. We in our leadership team, our, our ownership team at the time, which is myself and Ann and Rick, we looked around the room and said, do we have an integrator? Because that's the first place you should look is internally. Do we have someone who can fill that integrator role, who has that personality pretty well laid out in the books? What, you know, what that person should be like, what their Colby should look like. You know, it was pretty well laid out, you know, who that person should be. And we didn't have that person. So for us, it made sense to look externally for that role. But that's not always the case. Often there are two people currently within a company that can serve in both of those roles. And identifying those roles can be very clarifying. And that's what happened to me at the marketing agency. I was already there in an operations role when we learned about EOS. And it was like so eye-opening. I was like, I'm the integrator. You're the visionary. This is why you feel like I'm slowing you down all the time and why I feel like you're driving me crazy with all of your ideas. I mean, we literally had this very eye-opening conversation with my former boss and I. And so it was just, it can be very comforting and clarifying to say, okay, you're doing your thing. I'm doing mine. Yes, there's a natural tension there, but it's also very dynamic and works well. So to Al's point, I think there's often an integrator inside the company. And when you recognize that person and give them the agency to own that role and everyone can understand that role, it can really be helpful for the whole team and moving everything forward. Um, and there's actually an assessment if you want to find out if you're a visionary or an integrator and where you fall on that continuum. It's called the Crystallizer Assessment. So if you Google Crystallizer EOS, it'll come up. Real easy quiz. It strikes me as liberating to have that experience where you've been at odds with another leader in the organization probably for quite a long time. And now this framework is presented to you where you can see how both of you are essential to the future of the organization. You need the visionary to have the ideas and, the, and to see what's coming next. You need the integrator to make things a reality so that we don't have uh, a portfolio of half-completed ideas. Uh, we, we entrepreneurs do tend to uh, like bright, shiny objects, at least some of us do. So. Yes. And my answer is you can, you can have bright, shiny objects. You just can't have 12 of them. <laughs> three or four bright, shiny objects is fine. And let's just keep those same three or four going for a little while. And then we can change it out. <laughs> we'll get to your other bright, shiny objects. Well, other when, when you said I can't have 12, I was thinking, okay, so my limit's 11. But now I think <laughs> I understand what you're saying. When we were interviewing Adrienne and others for this position, Ken, we talked about how many good ideas we've had over the years that were still good ideas and hadn't been implemented. We had done a lot, 
But there were a lot of things that we had been working on for a long time. A fee change was one of them. An online scheduling system. There were a lot of things that, you know, we look back and say, how in the world did we not do that sooner? But it's it's very difficult when you're focused on other things. Yeah, it, it can be. Knowing that you want to get these next two recommendations out to the client by the end of the week and knowing that, yeah, I do need to review my fees to make sure that my fee structure is in line with the market. And somehow that latter task just seems to wait, not to our firm's benefit. And it can be hard to break down those bigger ideas and bigger projects into manageable chunks. And I think an integrator is sort of wired that way to say, what's the next step? But also the tools and systems of EOS kind of make you do that. So you do, you know, your 10-year vision, you do a three-year picture, a one-year plan, and they get more specific as you go. And then you do a quarterly, the top five things the company has to do. And by the way, these are our five measurables that we measure week in and week out. All of a sudden, you're getting a lot of momentum on what you focused on doing because, you know, we look, we look at our, the, what we call rocks in EOS, but goals every week. We just did it this morning. Everyone has a rock. Al, I, everyone, down to people who only worked here four months. And it's like, how are you doing on your rock? It keeps things moving forward. And it has a chance for people to say, I need help. You know, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not able to get to this. It's like, okay, how can we together help complete this rock? Because we've decided together, this is one of the five most important things we're doing in this quarter. One of the things that's important that was very eye-opening to me about rocks specifically is that they aren't a full task or project. They can be a piece of a project. And that was different than my mentality before. My mentality before is we need to, you know, implement an online scheduling system as an example. And that's the rock, that's the, the whole rock, but maybe there are parts of that that can be accomplished in a shorter period of time where you complete that part of the overall project and that's the rock. The whole project isn't the rock, that piece of it is, which then you complete the rock and then you move on to another and then ultimately over time that whole project gets completed. That, to me, is very different than what I've seen in the past and I think a real strength because it does break it down into bite-sized manageable pieces and you can celebrate the completion of those bite-sized manageable pieces knowing that the whole thing's not done yet, but we're making progress. And I think for a financial planning, you know, industry related example, Al, you know, we knew we were ready to move to SEC registration and it was daunting. Right. And so that became on our, our plan. Our goals was that for 2022, we were going to move to SEC registration. But over you had what, four, maybe five quarters where you had a rock as our chief compliance officer to address a piece of the SEC. And the last one we're doing right now is the final compliance manual and internal audit, right? Like you still have a rock related to SEC registration. And it's been you know 18 months at this point, but we did it, you know, and we moved through it and I was involved and other people were involved, but we had to say, okay, what's the next chunk that's manageable? And we look at our calendar since we run on search, Ken, we look at it and we say, okay, we've got a client search that falls this quarter. We have to make this manageable. So we have progress, but you know, it's not overwhelming. 
and EOS, you should have an 80% chance of completion. You should feel confident you can get there, but it should be a little bit of a stretch. It shouldn't be a slam dunk. It shouldn't take, you know, Herculean effort. And so we've been able to break down, which was a big thing. We knew it was going to be big. But again, Al had like five rocks on SEC registration, but it got done. It brings to mind, uh, of course, the ancient saying about the journey of a thousand miles and David Allen's getting things done where a crucial question is, what's the next action step? Which is uh, something that we ask in our team of three when we have our weekly meetings. We wrap up with what's on your agenda and what's the next action step? If we were to observe you doing the next thing you're going to do, what would we see you doing? It also occurs to me that what you're describing allows you to make the best use of people's natural abilities. Have you found yourself reassigning rocks from one person to another if uh, someone else seems better suited to the job? Let me answer that first, Adrian, from my perspective. I'm curious what, what, how you answer this question, but I think the key, Ken, is that the person responsible for the rock is not the person responsible for doing everything within that rock. So I think to your question, it would be you don't necessarily change the person responsible for the rock, but you figure out how to help and provide additional support. And maybe there's another team member that can play a significant role in that rock. But I don't know that you change the person responsible for the rock. That's from an outsider's perspective. So, Adrienne, I'm curious how you would answer that. I was going to say the same thing in that I don't think we've we've changed rocks, but we've had different people having a rock related to the same project. So one of our projects is we're 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 evaluating our financial fitness review. You know, Al has had a rock on this. Rick has had a rock on this. I think I had a rock at one point on some of the back end stuff. So it's it's more like what's that next step? Who's suited for that step? But to Al's point, it's the person who is in EOS speak accountable. They own the rock. They're responsible for making sure it happens. They don't have to do all the work at all. And so sometimes we've had and we list who's on the rock team. So it may be that Al is, you know, for like the SEC example, he owned the rock, but I was on his team in my role for operations on some of the compliance work. Um, So I was involved, but he was the one who was responsible for giving updates to the team and getting the rock over the finish line. It seems to me that if visionaries might want to have a dozen big projects that they're working on, each one of which could have any number of rocks you know, within it, and the integrator's job is to keep that list realistic, among other things, you have to make decisions about what to set aside. And maybe it'll be a future rock, or maybe time will move on and it never becomes one because there's a different technology in place now that solves that problem that you that you never addressed because you had other higher priorities. And so part of the EOS system is that in the me- meetings, the weekly meetings, but also these planning sessions, it has what they call an issues list, which is an issue or an opportunity, but it's the agenda essentially. And so you have short term, which you're addressing in the next month usually, and they have long term. So these ideas or problems you'd like to solve, you can sort of file away on long term. But when we meet quarterly, we look at all of the long-term issues and we say, okay, what's no longer an issue? Like it's resolved on its own or it's, it's a moot point or, you know, what has now risen to the fact that, yeah, it's time. We need to go ahead and resolve this. 
But we also, we start by looking at what's our plan? Where are we trying to get to in 10, three and one years? And what is going to move us forward? And sometimes removing an obstacle, addressing a technology or a problem is what you have to do to get where you want to go. Um, so you always start with that big picture and then you kind of filter down and say what's important. But there's a way to capture all of those ideas, which I think is really helpful for visionaries. But it's helpful for integrators because we see the problems and we have a place to list those too. So everyone has a place to have their ideas captured. Early on, it, it was, I, I remember in the quarterly EOS retreat, which is typically a day, we would, the, the rest of us would try to name way too many rocks. And, and Adrienne would, would very nicely, but very sternly say, nope, we're not going to have that many. That's too many. <laughs> and, you know, we don't really, I don't think we do that anymore. But early on, that was a real tendency to try to load too many rocks. And which is, as you can imagine, a recipe for disaster. But that's a human nature that we would try to do that. The EOS system also, because the person is accountable, you can look at the person and say, you know, we're, we're, we're out of storage right now. So Anne has three rocks. And I can look at her and I say, based on your capacity, time off, which we value, the clients you'll still need to support as needed over the summer, can you, with 80% confidence, get these three, with support, you know, and we've already come up with our rock team, get these three rocks over the finish line? Or does it need to be two? And that's okay. And if she says, I can only do two, then you say, okay, we decided this rock is really important. Who can pick it up? And so it becomes a we are trying, you know, to get where we want to go conversation. And I think that's very helpful because on the front end of implementing EOS, you do a lot of work around who you are as a company. Um, you get very clear on your core values, very clear on who you want to serve, very clear on your goals. So because you've been through that process already on the front end, the conversations of filtering and prioritizing, while it's never easy, there are always things that are on that list that we have, Al, that I'm like, oh, we all want to get that, but it's just not going to happen. But it feels we're, we're clear and there's much more of collective decision making rather than one person filtering. So this comes up in the EOS community. If the integrator feels like they're having to be the filter, then there's a problem with not everyone being all on the same page about where we're trying to get. So carried out properly, there's always confidence that the things you're working on are the things that really merit your attention. And if there's something else that you'd like to do, but that you're not getting to, it's because there's more important work to do first. Yes, um, and every quarter we ask, were those the right rocks? So we look pat at our past rocks and say, were those the right rocks? And we have said, been able to say, yes, we had one where we were like, that should have been a rock. That was bigger than we thought it was going to be. Why didn't we decide that? Why didn't we call that a rock and name it? But, you know, it's like, was that the right thing? And you sort of learn from that process. And then you start and you pick your next set. But so that, again, there's that reflection and then iterative planning that's just built into EOS that just is so helpful. And it's, it's, it's the system. So if you adopt the system, it just you, that's what you do. You don't have to decide. You don't have to make it up. It's just how it works. And, and that's a great point, Adrienne. And it, it relates to my decision and, Ken, probably your decision to join ACP is that there was a methodology that we could follow that we felt really good about. Nobody feels 100% about anything, but we felt really good about it and we could follow it. 
I, I see EOS very much the same way. It's a system like ACP is a system and you implement it, you follow it, you probably tweak it over time, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. You can, for a period of time, just open up that process and say, all right, here is a system for providing financial planning to individuals on a comprehensive fee-only fiduciary basis. And after I do six plans or 12 plans or 18, work with 18 retainer clients, then I'll know enough. I'll have enough experience to say, here are the changes I want to make. Here are the things that will work better with my personality or that are a better fit for the niche markets that I'm serving for the kinds of clients who seem to gravitate toward me. And it sounds like you find the same thing in EOS as well, Al. Yes. As you look back on the time since you've implemented EOS, any accomplishments that now you can say, I would not have believed we could do that. We actually got that done. I'd wanted to get that done for a long time until we implemented EOS. We couldn't do that. I think for me, it one of the projects that stands out is the fee adjustment slash rethinking. We still use something very close to the ACP calculator, but we don't use the stock ACP calculator. We spent a lot of time and effort and energy looking at our ideal clients and, and how, how fees affect them and what the market has charged. And Adrienne led a lot of that work because she was an outsider kind of looking in and helping us with, with fresh questions. Uh, and then we had the accountability and that project was a huge amount of work, but it pays incredible dividends. So I think to me, that's the one probably that stands out that we've been talking about doing something similar for two, three, four years, perhaps, uh, and, and finally got it done, maybe took us a year, a little over a year, probably. And then you know, we were able to implement it about a year ago. And also one thing that stood out to me that is often something that you know you just don't get around to when you're working in the business. And that is we spent quite a bit of time my first year getting really clear on who we are. My feeling when I came in is that it was consistent. Everyone knew, but we didn't have words. We didn't have the clarification of who we were. So we actually did a lot of work revisiting core values and really describing them um, so that we all know what that means. You know, when we say, you know, we listen, like what kind of listening, what does that mean in what context without it being really long? Um, so it's been posted in our bathroom for a couple of years now. Um, so, but we kind of built that in. So we did that. We also did work on the brand in terms of, you know, what's called a brand essence coming from a marketing agency, you know, what emotions and feelings did we want people to attach to our brand when they either saw our name or interacted with us? And then who are our ideal clients? And so we came up with different profiles of ideal clients and realized that there was an overarching sort of psychological profile of the ideal client and then different by kind of life cycle. And so that was work that just 
you just don't get to, right? And so we did that, but that has been helped us in so many ways because that came up when we worked on the fee calculation, right? It was just like, why are we wanting to leave what we've been doing? What are we trying to accomplish? And we were able to articulate that more clearly. The same thing, even with moving to SEC, why? You know, how does this impact, you know, as we make decisions along the way with online scheduling, what did we want it to do? What didn't we want it to do? Um, we could be much more clear in making those decisions. And again, there's clarity across the team as well. We all kind of know who we are now, who we want to work with. And that really helps. But it's not work that people would make time for. But you know, we were in a pandemic and I was new. So I had a lot of questions. So we dive, we dove in together. That's the value of the outside perspective, the value of someone who's uh, not a financial advisor to look at the business as a business and share your judgment about what's working and what's not and what next steps you might be considering. And in terms of who we are as a company, I hadn't been here for the growth over years and years and years. So I was coming in very fresh to this company, this team, and sort of just drawing out, you know, those words and descriptions so that we all could kind of have better understanding across the team. It sounds like for you, Al, as the visionary, there have probably been some aha moments when having Adrienne's perspective, you've been able to see, oh, we should be stepping on the gas on this project over here, but we should set this one aside for a while. Any big surprises in that process for you? Well, I, I think I'll, I'll answer that a little bit differently than maybe you asked, Ken, but for me, I think I was a great person to build the company from zero clients to 120, 125 clients. Then there's the whole next iteration of making it a business, really building that growth, that financial planning firm into a business. And that takes very different skills than it took to get from zero to where we were two years ago. So a lot of the ahas is the better answers are coming from other people on the team rather than me, because I, by definition, have that historical reference of this is what we did, this worked. So it's hard to think about it differently. Just because it worked doesn't mean it's going to work, but that's a really difficult mindset for a founder to get out of. So I guess the biggest thing for me is that it opening up to more conversation, more input, the team comes up with answers themselves. Often those answers are going to be better than the answers that I would have come up with individually. And that's exciting. That's exactly the way that I think the system should work. And again, we all know where we want to go now. We all have kind of been part of that vision setting, that goal setting. And so it's, I think it's easier for people to bring forth ideas. They're more confident in doing that because they have a sense of where it would fit in and how it might support that bigger picture. 
Um, so they don't feel like they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. They have a sense of where we're trying to go. And so I think that gives them confidence. And once we rolled out rock, that everyone has a rock every quarter, it also pushes that accountability down to the whole team to make our goals happen. It's not just on our shoulders as the founder or even our leadership team of three. It's all of us now. We're all in it together. Everyone has their own contribution to make. And of course, with more hands, you can get more work done. Well, I'm very excited for the growth of Davis Financial Planning and what EOS has has done for you. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. There are advisors who are trying to decide whether or not EOS is right for them or considering implementing it in their practice. What guidance would each of you have for other firms that are, are looking at this? For me, the first would be don't overthink it um, because we as ACP advisors often or financial planners in general can analyze anything to death. Don't. True enough. <laughs> Just implement something. And if it's EOS, great. If it's something else, fine. But implement, if you think you need a system, implement it. I really got a lot out of rocket fuel. Um, so reading Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickman, to me, that, that helped me understand the power or the potential power of the EOS system. So if I were to recommend one book or resource, it would be that one. And that's the one I normally recommend as well. I think especially for visionaries, you kind of get to the how does this work and what can it do for me faster via Rocket Fuel than some of the other books that are out there. I did a session at the ACP conference in Atlanta on EOS, and that information is still on our website. So it's davisfinancialplanning.com slash ACP EOS, all of those letters together. Um, so you'll get my slides, recommended reading list, um, and some other resources like the integrator group I've mentioned and some other things. So that's still up for folks to access. Outstanding. Thanks very much. What a pleasure to have you both on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for hosting. You've been listening to Al Davis, CFPEA, founder of Davis Financial Planning with offices in Asheville, North Carolina, and CEO Adrienne Gordon. There's a link to Davis Financial Planning's website in our show notes. This is podcast number 23 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. For more than 25 years, ACP has trained advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.